Chapter Five of South Sea Idols by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Taboo, a Fate Day in Tahiti. It was on one of those vagabond pilgrimages to nowhere in particular, such as every stranger is bound to make in a strange land, that I first stumbled upon my royal jester, better known in Tahiti as Taboo great jove what a night it was a wild ravine full of banyan and pandanus trees and of parasite climbers and the thousand nameless leafing and blossoming creatures that intermarry to such an alarming extent in the free-loving tropics had tempted me to pasture there for a little while i was wandering on among roots and trailing branches and under ropes upon ropes of flowers that seemed to swing suddenly across my path on purpose to keep me from finding too easily the secret heart of the mountain i felt it was right that i should be made to realize how sacred a spot that sanctuary of nature was but i fretted somewhat at the persistency of these speechless sentinels who guarded its outer door so faithfully there was a waterfall within that i had prayed to see one of those mysterious waterfalls that descend noiselessly from the bosom of a cloud stealing over cushions of moss like a ray of light in a dream or something else equally intangible you never find this sort of waterfall in the common way no one can exactly point it out to you but you must search for it yourself and listen for its voice and usually listen in vain till suddenly you come upon it in a moment almost as if by accident and its whole quivering length glitters and glistens with jewels where it hangs like a necklace on the bosom of a great cliff it is the only visible chain that binds earth to heaven and no wonder you gaze at it with questioning eyes well while i was looking about me expecting every moment to feel the damp breath of the waterfall upon my forehead night came down where was i in the midst of a pathless forest between cliffs whose sleek mossy walls were so steep as to forbid even the goat's sharp hoof down the hollow of the ravine among round slippery rocks and between trellises of giant roots tumbled a mountain torrent no human form visible probably none to be looked for on that side of the inaccessible dome of the mountain yet fearlessly i toiled on knowing that food and shelter were on every side and that no hand whose clasp was as fervent as the clasp of the vine itself would be raised against me and thank heaven outsiders were scarce in the midst of the narrowing chasm with the night thickening and the wood growing more and more objectionable i heard a sound as of stumbling feet before me my first thought was of color i would scarcely trust a white man in that predicament what well-disposed white would be prowling like a wild animal alone in a forest at night it occurred to me that i was white or had passed as such but I know and have always known that inwardly I am purple-blooded and supple-limbed and invisibly tattooed after the manner of my lost tribe. I was startled at the sound and slackened my pace to listen. The footsteps paused with mine. I plunged forward, accusing the echoes of playing me false. Again the mysterious one rushed awkwardly on before me, 
with footfalls that were not like mine, nor like any that I could trace. They were neither brute nor human, but fell clumsily among the roots and stones, out of time with me. Therefore no echo, and beyond my reckoning entirely. At this hour the moon, of a favorable size, looked over the cliff, flooding the chasm with her soft light. I rejoiced at it, and hoped for a revelation of the unknown, whose tottering steps had mocked mine for half an hour. We were in the midst of a dense grove of breadfruit trees. Scarcely a ray of light penetrated their thick-woven branches, but against the faint light of the open distance I marked the weird outline of one who might once have been human, but was no longer a tolerable image of his maker. The figure was like the opposite halves of two men bodily joined together in an amateur attempt at human grafting. The trunk was curved the wrong way, a great shoulder bullied a little shoulder, and kept it decidedly under. A long leg walked right round a short leg that was perpetually sitting itself down on invisible seats, or swinging itself for the mere pleasure of it. One arm clutched a ten-foot bamboo about three inches in diameter, and wielded it as though it were a bishop's crook, and something to be proud of. The other arm, it must have belonged to a child when it stopped growing, was hooked up over one ear, looking as though it had been badly wired by some medical student, and was worn as a lasting reproach to him. A shaggy head was set on the down-slope of the big shoulder, and seemed to be continually looking over the little shoulder and under the little arm, for someone always expected, but who was very long in coming. Upon this startling discovery I turned to flee, but the figure immediately followed. It was evidently too late to escape an interview, and taking heart I walked toward it, when, to my amazement, it hastily staggered away from me, looking always over its shoulder, quickening its pace with mine, slackening its speed with me, and keeping, or seeking to keep, within a certain distance of me all the while. My curiosity was excited, and as I saw it bore me no ill will, I made a quick plunge forward, hoping to capture it. With an energetic effort it strove to escape me, but with the head turned the wrong way it stumbled blindly into a bit of jungle, where it lay whining piteously. I assisted it to its feet with what caution and tenderness I could, and finding it still wary, walked on slowly, leading the way to the edge of the grove, where the moonlight was almost as radiant as the dawn. It followed me like a dog, and was evidently grateful for my company. I walked slowly that it might not stumble, and as we emerged from the shadow of the breadfruits, I maneuvered so as to bring its face toward the moonlight, and I saw a hideous visage, with all its features sliding to one corner, and nothing but the two soft, sleepy-looking eyes saved me from yielding to the disgust that its whole presence awakened. As it was, I involuntarily started back with a shudder, and a slight exclamation that attracted its attention. "'Taboo! Taboo!' moaned the poor creature, half in introduction, half in apology and explanation. He was well named the Forbidden One, set apart from all his fellows, incapable of utterance, maimed in body, an outcast among his own people, homeless, yet at home everywhere, 
friendless though welcomed by all for his entertaining and ludicrous simplicity feeding like the birds from nature's lap and like the birds left to the winds and waters for companionship somehow i felt that taboo could lead me at once to the waterfall and i tried to seek out the small door to his brain and impress him with my anxiety to reach the place oh what darkness was there and what doubts and fears seemed to cloud the hidden portals of his soul he made an uncouth noise for me perhaps he meant it as music it was frightful to hear it up there in the mountain solitudes he got me fruits and a little water in the palm of his hand which he expected me to drink with a relish he lay down at my feet in a broken heap of limbs crooning complacently he was playful and thoughtful alternately at least he lost himself in long silences from time to time while his eyes glowed with a deep inward light that almost made me hope to startle his reason from its dreadful sleep but a single word broke the spell and set him to laughing as though he would go all to pieces and his joy was more pitiful than his sorrow in one of his silent moods he suddenly staggered to his feet and shambled into a narrow trail to one side of the gorge i wondered at his unexpected impulse and feared that he had grown tired of me already preferring the society of his feathered comrades a few of whom sounded their challenge note that soared like silver arrows in the profound stillness of the ravine it seemed not however in a few moments he returned and signalled me with his expressive grunt and i followed him through thickets of fern arching high over our heads down spongy dells and over rims of rock jutting from the base of the mountain taboo and i clambered in the warm moonlight anon we came upon a barricade of bamboos growing like pickets set once against another i know not how broad the thicket might have been possibly as broad as the ravine itself but into the thick of it taboo edged himself and close upon his heels i followed in a few moments we had crushed our way through the midst of the bamboos that clashed together after us so that a bird might not have tracked us and lo a crystal pool in the heart of a wonderful garden and to it silently from heaven itself descended that mysterious waterfall whose actual existence i had seriously begun to question it lay close against the breast of the mountain strangely pale in the full glow of the moon while like a vein of fire it seemed to throb from end to end or like a shining thread with great pearls slipping slowly down its full length taking the faint hues of the rainbow as they fell playing at prisms until my eyes weary of watching closed of their own accord i sank down by taboo who was sleeping soundly in the hollow of a great tree and the one cover for both of us was the impenetrable shadow that is never lifted from that silent sanctuary of the most high the sky was as saffron when we woke from our out-of-door sleep and the whole atmosphere was less poetical and impressive than on the night previous stranger than all else there was no visible trace of the mysterious waterfall i even began to question my own senses and thought it possible that i had been dreaming yet there sat taboo in his frightful imperfection as happy and indifferent as possible 
Of course, he could tell me nothing of the magical waters. He had doubtless already forgotten the episode of the hour previous. He lived for the solitary moment, and his mind seemed unable to grasp the secrets of ten seconds on either side of his narrow present. In fact, he was playing with a splendid lizard when I returned from my brief and fruitless reconnaissance, and as I came up, he wondered at me, as he never ceased to wonder, with fresh bewilderment, whenever I came back to him, after never so brief an absence. I soon learned to play upon Taboo's one stop, to point a finger at him and bore imaginary auger holes right into him everywhere, for he always winced and whined like a very baby, and yielded at once to my pantomimic suggestion. But what a wreck was there! A delicate instrument, full of rifts and breakages, with that single key readily answerable to the slightest touch of my will. I have often wished that it had been a note more deep, profound, or sympathetic. It was simply merry and shrill, and incapable of any modulations whatever. Point a finger at him, make a few coils in the air that grow to a focus as they draw nearer to him, and he would run over with uncontrollable jollity that was at times a little painful in its boisterousness. I knew well enough that I had sucked the honey from that particular cell in the mountain, and that I might as well resume my pilgrimage. There was to be a fête Napoléon in Papiti. We hadn't heard, up to that hour, of the wreck of the great empire, and, being in a loyal French colony, it behooved us to have the very best time possible. Said I to myself, Taboo will find sufficient food for merriment in our mode of fêting an emperor. Therefore, Taboo shall go with me to town and enjoy himself. I suggested an immediate adjournment to Papiti with the tip of my forefinger, whereat Taboo doubled up as usual, and in his own fashion implored me to stop being so funny. We at once started, returning through the bamboo breaks, fording the stream in some awkward way, and slowly working our passage down to town. The Tahitians have but one annual holiday. As this, however, is seventy-two hours in length, while everything relating to it is broad in proportion, it is about as much as they can conscientiously ask for. Taboo and I entered the town on the eve of the first day, together with multitudes from the neighboring districts flocking together in their best clothes. The lovely bay of Pepiti was covered with fleets of canoes hailing from all the seaside villages on the island, and many of them from Moria and islands even more distant. No sea is too broad to be compassed by an ambitious Kanak, who scents a festival from afar. Along the crescent shores of the bay, the canoes were heaped tier upon tier. It was as though a whole South Sea navy had been stranded, for the town was crowded with canoe boys and all manner of natives in gala dress. The incessant rolling of drums, the piping of bamboo flutes, and the choruses of wandering singers began early in the dawn of the 14th August, and were expected to continue uninterruptedly through the evening of the 16th. Taboo regarded it all with singular indifference. Everybody seemed to know him, and to take particular delight in greeting him. His sleepy disregard of them was considered extremely laughable, and they went their way, roaring with merriment, that contrasted strongly with the grave, listless face of the simple one, who was apparently oblivious of everything. 
the morning after we appeared in papiti was sunday according to the calendar the little cathedral with banana leaves rustling in the open windows was thronged with worshippers of all colours doubly devout in the excessive heat various choirs relieved one another during mass and some diminutive fellows under ten years of age chanted latin hymns in a pleasingly plaintive voice led by a friar in long clothes and a choker taboo crouched by the open door during service raking the gravel walk with his crooked fingers and hitching about with indefatigable industry after the last gospel we all went into the middle of the street for there were no sidewalks and got our boots very dusty little knots of friends seemed to sit down in the way wherever they pleased and to talk as long as they liked while everybody else accommodatingly turned out for them or paused and listened to the conversation without embarrassment on either side liquor was imbibed on the sly some eyes were beginning to swim perceptibly and some tongues to wag faster and looser than ever the admiral's flagship was one pyramid of gorgeous bunting and his band delighted a great audience gathered upon the shore with a matinee gratis at sunset the imperial batteries belched their sulphurous thunder that came as near to breaking the sabbath as possible in the evening more music up at the governor's garden waltzes polkas and quadrilles so brilliantly executed that the listeners were half mad with delight and you couldn't for the life of you tell what day it had been nor what night it was but sunday was positively set down against it in the calendar at ten p m a signal gun says good night to the citizens of papiti and it behooves all those who are dark-skinned to retire instantly on pain of arrest and a straw heap in the calaboose in the midst of our sunday festival while yet the streets were hilarious slap bang went this impudent piece of ordnance and at once the crowd began to disperse in the greatest confusion taboo who had been an inanimate spectator during the day's diversions seemed to comprehend the necessity of hasty flight to some quarter or other and with a confusion of ideas peculiar to him he began careering in great circles through the swaying multitudes and continued to revolve around an uncertain centre until i seized him and sought to pilot him to some convenient place of shelter i thought of the great market that like those ancient cities of refuge was always open to the benighted wanderer and thither we hastened a lofty roof covering a good part of a block kept the rain from a vast enclosure stored with stalls tables and benches it was simply shelter of the barest kind but sufficient for all needs in that charitable climate there was a buzzing of turbulent throngs as we edged our way toward the centre of the market-place you would think that all the bees of tahiti were swarming in unison from the noise thereof the commotion was long and quieting it had to subside like the sea at flood-tide every little while a brace of gendarmes strutted past the premises feeling mighty fine in their broad white pants like a ship with studding sails out and with those comical bobtails sprouting out of the small of their backs 
i know that taboo and i having laid ourselves on somebody's counter listened and nudged each other for two or three hours and that it began to feel like morning before there was sleep enough to go entirely around the establishment the man who is the first to wake in papiti lights his lamp and goes to market as soon as he makes his untimely appearance the community begins to stir a great clatter of drowsy voices and dozens of yawns are the symptoms of returning day and in ten minutes the market is declared open though it is still deep and tranquil starlight overhead with not a trace of dawn as yet visible when the market opens before three a m and the hour happens to be the blackest of the four-and-twenty it is highly inconvenient for any foreigner and his royal jester who may be surreptitiously passing the night upon one of the fruit counters but there is no help for them sleepy heads give way to fresh gathered breadfruits and nets of fragrant oranges bananas are swung up within tempting reach of everybody all sorts of natives come in from the four quarters of the papetian globe with backloads of miscellaneous viands a mat under one arm and a flaming torch in hand rows upon rows of girls sell fruits and flowers to the highest bidder withering old women haggle over the prices of their perfumed and juicy wares solitary men offer their solitary strings of fish for a real each and refuse to be beaten down by any wretch of a fellow who dares to insinuate that the fish are a trifle too scaly boys sit demurely over their meagre array of temptations in the shape of six tomatoes three eggs a dozen or so of guavas and one cucumber these youngsters usually sit with a passionless countenance that forbids any hope of a bargain at reduced prices and they pass an hour or two with scarce a suggestion of custom but it is suddenly discovered that they have something desirable and a dozen purchasers begin quarrelling for it during which time someone else quietly makes his purchase from one corner of the boy's mat and having closed out his stock in less than ten minutes he quietly pockets his reales and departs without having uttered a syllable taboo and i went from one mat to another eyeing the good things for breakfast i offered him the best that the market afforded and i could easily do so for in no land is the article cheaper or better taboo having made the circuit of the entire establishment upon mature deliberation concluded to take nothing at every point he was greeted uproariously by the noisy and good-natured people who were willing to give him anything he might choose to take they probably felt that it was worth more than the price of the article to see the sublime scorn on the poor fellow's face as he declined their limes fays mangoes or whatever delicious morsel it might have been as for me i couldn't resist these seductions i made my little purchases and withdrew to the seaside where i could break my fast by sunrise and enjoy comparative quiet taboo grinned in the market-place till he was weary of the applause showered upon him by the ungodly who made light of his irreparable misfortune and took pleasure in his misery he hunted me up or rather stumbled upon me again and stayed by me amusing himself with pelting the fish that sported like sunbeams and prisms in the sea close at our feet it was fete day in tahiti 
I sat at sunrise by the tideless margin of a South Sea lagoon, bristling with coral and glittering with gem-like fish. In either hand I held a mango and banana. I raised the mango to my lips. What a marvel it was! A plump vegetable egg, full of delusion and stuffed with a horny seed nearly as large as itself. It had a fragrance as of oils and syrups. It purged sweet-scented and resinous gums. Its hide was perhaps too tough for convenience, but its inner lusciousness tempted me to persevere in the consumption of it. With much difficulty I broke the skin. Honey of Hametus! It seemed as though the very marrow of the tropics were about to intoxicate my palate. Alas, for the hopes of youthful inexperience! What was so fair to see proved but a meagre mouthful of saturated wool. That colossal and horny seed asserted itself everywhere. The more I strove to handle it with caution, the more slippery and unmanageable it became. It shot into my beard, it leaped lightly into my shirt-bosom, and skated over the palms of both hands. Small rivulets of liquor trickled down my sleeves, making disagreeable puddles at both elbows. My fingers were webbed together in a glutinous mass. My whole front was in a shocking state of smear. My teeth grew weary of combing out the beguiling threads of the fruit. The thing seemed, to my imagination, a small flat head covered with short blonde hair, profusely saturated with some sweet sort of ointment that I had despaired of feasting on and I was not sorry when the slippery stone sprang out of my grasp and peppered itself with sea-sand. I knew that there still remained to me a morsel that was of itself fit food for the gods. I poised aloft with satisfaction the rare ripe banana, beautiful to the eye as a nugget of purest gold. The pliant petals were pouting at the top of the fruit. I readily turned them back, forming an unique and convenient gilded salver for the column of flaky manna that was, as yet, swathed in lace like folds. These gauzy ribbons fell from it almost of their own accord, and hung in fleecy festoons about it. Here was a repast of singularly appropriate mould, being about the size of a respectable mouth, and containing just enough mouthfuls to temporarily satisfy the appetite. Not a morsel of it but was full of mellowness and sweet flavour and fragrance. Not an atom of it was wasted, for no sooner had I thrown aside the cool, clean, flesh-like case than it was made away with by a fowl that had, no doubt, been patiently awaiting that abundant feast. Mangoes and bananas, their very names smack of shady gardens that know no harsher premonition of death than the indolent and natural decay of all things. The nostril is excited with the thought of them, the palate grows moist and yearns for them, and the soul feasts itself for a moment with a memory of mangoes and bananas past, whose perfection was but another proof of immortality, since it is impossible ever to forget them individually. Mangoes and bananas, the prime favorites at nature's most bountiful board, the realization of a dream of the orchards of the Hesperides, alike excellent, yet so vastly dissimilar in their excellences, it seems almost incredible that the same beneficent providence can have created the two fruits. 
It was the memorable 15th of August, 1870, but I have reason to believe the bananas were no better on that particular occasion than almost always in their own latitude. The 15th of August. Where was the emperor then? I forget. I know that we rejoiced in the blissful confidence that we were to have a grand time at all hazards. There were guns at sunrise from ship and shore a grand national procession of french and tahitians to high mass at ten thirty guns twenty-one of them together with the ringing of bells and a salute of flags at the elevation of the host so that you would have known the supreme moment had you been miles away then came a sumptuous public breakfast for the frenchmen and for the natives games of several sorts Taboo and I, having properly observed the more solemn ceremonials of the day, gave ourselves up to the full enjoyment of these latter diversions. There was a greased pole with shining cups, and flowing prints, both useful and ornamental, hung at the top of it. Several naked and superbly built fellows shinnied up it with infinite difficulty, and were so fatigued when they got there they were only too willing to clutch the first article within reach, which was, of course, the least desirable, and scarcely worth the trouble of getting. Oh, such magnificent grouping at the foot of the pole, as the athletes shouldered one another in a sort of cooperative experiment at getting up sooner such struggles to rise a little above the heads of the impatient climbers beneath as made the aspiring kanak quite pale that is greenish yellow such losing of grips and faintings of heart and slidings back to earth in the midst of taunts and jeers but all in the best of humours and the hottest of suns such novelties as these were a very great delight to taboo and myself he, however, didn't deign to laugh heartily. He merely smiled in a superior manner that seemed to imply that he knew of something that was twice as much fun and not half the trouble, but he didn't choose to disclose it. He nearly always seemed to know as much as any ten of us, and it was like an assumption of innocence, that queer, vacant expression of his face." I'm not sure that he was not possessed of some rare instinct beyond our comprehension, which was to him an abundant compensation for the fragmentary body he was obliged to trundle about. Early in the afternoon there were fresh arrivals in the bay. Two mammoth double war canoes of fifty paddles each came in from a remote sea district, they were the very sort of water-monsters that went out to greet my illustrious predecessor, Captain Cook, nearly a century ago. Taboo and I were only too glad to sit meekly among the ten thousand spectators that blackened the great sweep of the shore, while these savages matched their prowess. With one vigorous plunge of the paddles, the canoes sprang from the beach into the watery arena. How strange they looked! long low sides scarce eight inches above water and stained like fish scales big yawning jaws in their snake-like heads and the tail of a dragon in their wakes every man of the hundred stripped to the skin and bareheaded their brawny bodies glistening in the sun as though they had been oiled while with mechanical accuracy the crews beat the water with their paddles and chanted their guttural chants with the sea flashing and foaming under them. The race was a tie. 
Perhaps it was fortunate that it proved so. I fear if one crew had beaten the other crew the breadth of a paddle, that other would have lain too and eaten that one right under our very eyes. They had their songs of triumph, both sounding the chorus, during which they drummed with their paddles on the sides of their canoes, till the frail things shivered and groaned in genuine misery. Then they renewed the race, because they couldn't possibly be still for a moment, and they looked like a brace of mastodon centipedes trying to get out of the water, with death hissing in their throats. The evening of the great day was drawing to a close. Taboo and I again went out into the narrow green lanes of Papiti, seeking what we might devour with all our eyes and ears. They were very charming, those long arbors of densely-leaved trees, with little tropical vignettes set in the farther end of them. It was almost like getting a squint through the wrong end of a telescope, pointed towards some fairyland or other. As it grew dark, a thousand ready hands began illuminating the avenues that lead to the governor's house. Up and down its deep veranda swung ropes of lanterns, and as the guards at the garden gate presented arms at the approach of the admiral, or some distinguished and decorated foreigner, the strains of Strauss, deliciously played, filled the illuminated grove with an air of romance that was very oriental in its mellowness, and quickened every foot that was so happy as to touch the soil of Tahiti in so fortunate an hour. On every part of the public lawns the revels were conducted after the native fashion. Bands of singers and dancers sang and danced in the streets, and were frequently rewarded with liberal potations. Taboo looked on as amiably as usual, and for some time as passively also. But there was something intoxicating in the air, and it began to have a visible effect upon him. It was not long before he strove to emulate the singers. St. Cecilia, what a song was his! I could scarcely endure to hear that royal jester striving to tune his inharmonious voice to the glib, though monotonous, Tahitian madrigals. I walked away by myself, or rather went into another part of the village, and sought a change of scene, for there was no seclusion to be hoped for on a fete night. From the governor's halls came the entrancing harmony of flutes and harps. From every lane and alley, the piping of nose-fifes and the droning of nasal corals, from the sea rolled in the deep, hoarse booming of the reef, the rhythmical plash of oars, or the clear, prolonged cry of someone in the watery distance, hailing someone close at hand. Even so savage and picturesque a spectacle as this grew wearisome after a time, and I turned my steps toward a place of shelter, and suggested to myself, sleep. In one lane was a throng of natives, wilder in their demonstrations of joy than all the others. My curiosity was excited, and I hastened to join them. Having with some difficulty wedged my way into the front row of spectators, I beheld the subject of their riotous applause. In the centre of a small ring was an ungainly figure, writhing in grotesque contortions. Tom-toms were being beaten with diabolical energy and wildness. Flutes and shrill voices were chiming in rapid and bewildering chromatics. The audience, the half-crazed and utterly inhuman audience, gloated over the shocking spectacle with a devilish delight. 
In one moment I comprehend it all. Taboo, overcome by the general and unusual excitement, had succumbed to its depraving influences, and unable longer to control himself, he was broadly burlesquing, in his helplessness, one of the national dances. Music had at last reached his impenetrable soul, awakened his long-slumbering sympathies, and found him her willing slave. A pity that some diviner strains had not first led him captive, that he might have been spared this disgrace. I saw his unhappy body ambling to the shame of all. I saw those pitiful, unshapen shoulders undulating in vain attempts at passional expression. The helpless arm waved at every movement of the body, while the withered hand spun like a whirligig above his ears. His eyes, having lost their accustomed mild light, stared distractedly about, seeking rescue and protection, as I thought. In a few moments I attracted his notice, though he seemed but partly to recognize me. There was his usual uncertain recognition, grown more doubtful, nay, even hopeless, as his face betrayed. Again I caught his eye. I felt that but one course was left me, and at once I aimed my finger at him. He winced in his delirious dance. I coiled it round and round, weaving airy circle within circle, quicker and quicker. I wove my spell, and at last shot the whole hand at him, as though I would run him through. He doubled like one struck with a fatal blow, and went to the ground all of a senseless heap. There was a disturbance in the audience. Some of them thought I had bewitched Taboo, and it behooved me to go at once, rather than seek to make explanation of the singular result of my presence there. I went, and spent a dull night, accusing myself of being the possible spiritual murderer of Taboo. I had no business to bring him to the metropolis at that unfortunate season. I had no right to leave him with his traducers, and that was the whole statement of the case. The last day of the fete was, of course, less joyous to me. A score of nameless nags were to be ridden by light weights in breechcloths, and I sought consolation in the prospect of seeing some bewitching horsemanship. The track, in use but once every twelve months, and yielding annually a young orchard of guava trees, presented to the astonished gaze of the foreign sporting gentleman, who happened to be on the ground, if indeed there was such a one present, a half-mile course with numerous stones and hollows relieving its surface, while the rope that enclosed it kept giving way every few moments, letting in a mixed multitude among the half-broken horses. The queen was present at the races, Pomare, whose life has been one long sorrowful romance, the admiral was also there, and many a petty officer, with abundant gilt and tinsel. At a signal from the trumpeter, the horses were entered unannounced, and everybody betted wildly. One little African jockey, mounted upon the cleverest piece of flesh and blood in the field, called for the larger stakes, and he would certainly have won, but for an unavoidable accident. The little African was pressing in on the home stretch, and everything looked lovely for the winning mare, when unluckily she put her nigh leg in a crab hole, and snapped her shin bone square off. 
the undaunted little african tried his best to finish the heat on his own responsibility and went off into the air in fine style but missed his calculation and burrowed about three lengths from the goal his neck was driven in nearly up to the ears and the mare had to be shot but the races went mercilessly on until a tremendous thunderstorm flooded the track and washed the population back to town dance after dance consumed the afternoon hours and song upon song eternally reiterated finally failed to create any special enthusiasm i saw no further traces of taboo again and again i followed knots of the curious into the larger native houses where the lascivious dances were given with the utmost abandon thither i suspected taboo would most likely be impelled for the music was wilder and the applause more boisterous and unrestrained the evening of the last day of the fete was darkening most people were growing a little weary of the long-drawn festivities many had succumbed in their fatigue and slept by the wayside or it may be they had known too well the nature of the tahitian juices such as no man may drink and not fall the palace of pomare a great hollow incomplete shell whose windows have never been glazed and whose doors have never been hung was the scene of the concluding ceremonials of the season the long verandas were quickly hung with numerous paper lanterns swinging continually in the soft night winds that stole down from the starlit slopes of fatahua the broad lawns in front of the palace were blocked out in squares like the map of a lilliputian city each one of these plats was set apart for a band of singers and there were as many bands as districts in tahiti and maria together with delegations from islands more remote soon the choruses began to assemble choirs of fifty voices each male and female led by tight-headed drums and screaming fifes drew toward the palace gardens and were formally admitted by the proper authorities who were very much swollen with the pomp of office and perhaps a little sprinkle of the exhilarating accompaniments of the season one after another the white-robed processions approached each fresh arrival looking more like the chorus in norma than the last though it then seemed impossible that any druid would presume to appear more gracefully ghost-like each singer wore a plume of cocoa leaves whose feathers were more lovely than the downy wands of the ostrich they were made of knots of long slender ribbons softer than satin veined like clouded silver as transparent as the clearest isinglass and as delicate as the airiest gauze out of the core of the palm-tree in the midst of its rich dark mass of foliage springs a tuft of leaves as tender as the first sprouts of a lily-bulb these budding leaves are carefully removed split edgewise and the enameled sheets laid open to the sun then with a thumb-nail passed skilfully over the inner surface a filmy membrane is separated and spread in the air to dry a single tree yields but a small cluster of these pale cloud-like leaves scarcely a handful in all yet the tree withers when they pluck the heart of it it is the very soul of the southern palm with every leaf spiritualized and looking vapory as tangible moonlight 
the leader of the concert having challenged the choruses from the veranda of the palace at once twenty choirs struck into their particular anthem with the utmost zeal a discord about six acres in extent was the result it seemed as though each choir was seeking whom it might drown out with superior vocal compass and volume with much difficulty the several bands of singers were persuaded to await their turn for a solo effort that might be listened to with no small degree of pleasure from time to time during the entire evening some obstreperous chorus would break loose spite of every precaution and it had always to sing itself out before order could be restored taboo would have thoroughly enjoyed those two thousand singers each singing his or her favorite rondelet independent of all laws of time and melody he might have been there as it was offering his inharmonious chants with the mob of contestants by the time the series of prize songs had been sung the sky grew cloudy and the torches began to flicker in the increasing wind a few great drops of rain spat down in the midst of the singers and the reef moaned loudly like the baying of signal guns it was ominous of coming storms at the climax of a choral revolution in which every man's voice seemed raised against his neighbors a roar as of approaching armies was heard mingled with the accompanying crash of artillery a sudden puff of wind extinguished the major part of the torches and wrecked many of the lanterns in the palace porch it was simply a tropical shower in all its magnificence but it was enough the fete concluded then and there in the promptest manner the narrow streets of Papiti were clogged with retreating hosts who continually shouted a sort of general adieu to everybody as they gathered their skirts about them and, with shoes in hand, turned their bare feet homeward. Since the end had at last come, and I had no further claims upon the people, nor the people upon me, if indeed either of us were ever anything in particular to one another, I drifted with the majority, and soon found myself in the suburban wilderness that girdles the small capital of the queendom. I wandered on till the noise of the revellers grew more and more indistinct. They were scattering themselves over the length and breadth of the island, carrying their songs with them. Now and then a fresh gust of wind bore down to me an echo of a refrain that had grown familiar during the days of the fete, and will not soon be forgotten but the past was rapidly fading and the necessities of the future began to present themselves with unusual boldness instinctively i turned into the winding trail that once before had led me toward that mysterious mountain sacristy over whose font fell the spiritual and dreamlike rivulet whose baptismal virtues taboo and i had sought together i felt certain that i could find it without guidance for the broken clouds let slip such floods of moonlight as made day of darkness and rendered the smallest landmark easily distinguishable i paused for rest in the breadfruit grove where first i met with my weird companion presently i resumed my pilgrimage wending my way toward the slender path that led through fern forest and bamboo jungle to the crystal lake and waterfall in vain i sought it the slightest traces of the trail seemed obliterated i wandered up and down the winding way till i was in despair of finding the slightest clue to the mystery 
i sat down and thought how a slight accident of forgetfulness was lending a sense of enchantment to the whole valley when i heard a stumbling step too marked to be soon forgotten i crept into a shadow and awaited the approach of the solitary wanderer how he tottered as he drew near he seemed to have lost part of his small skill since i last saw him he was laughing quietly to himself while he journeyed perhaps some memory of the fete still pleased him he passed me unconscious of my presence i ran cautiously and followed him at a safe distance we threaded the old path by stream and cliff and brake and after a little reached the secluded and silent borders of the lake once or twice he had heard me as i brushed past the bamboos or a twig snapped underfoot but those forest sounds scarcely disconcerted him he was too well used to them he paused at the margin of the lake stooped awkwardly and drank of it went a little to one side where an outlet fed the torrent we had forded some distance down the valley and there he bathed having started once or twice as though with some remembered and definite purpose he paused a moment or two looked about him helplessly and returned to the foot of the great tree where we slept the first night of our acquaintance there was a faint suggestion of the fall across the sombre breast of the cliff opposite but whether it were real or a delusion i could scarcely determine tadboo was soon asleep among the roots of the banyan and i weary of seeking some revelation of the island mysteries lay down near him and gradually sank into unconsciousness once in the night i awoke the clouds had blown over and the moon was more resplendent than i ever remember to have seen it out on the mossy rim of the lake stood taboo gazing wistfully upon the mountains instinctively my eyes followed his and there i beheld the waterfall in all its glory leaping like a ray of light from the bosom of the sky i could scarcely determine whether or no it really fell into the lake for the foliage about its shores was too profuse it flashed like handfuls of diamond dust thrown into the light and descended as noiselessly and airily as vapour the clouds soon gathered again i slept overcome with weariness and when i awoke at dawn taboo was missing as well as all traces of the fall this however scarcely surprised me for i had grown to look upon it as some lunar effect that came and went with the increasing or decreasing splendor of the moon or it might have been the short-lived offspring of the showers that sweep over the island at uncertain intervals it was probably the only dramatic result to be looked for in the career of taboo you never can depend upon one of those veering minds whose north star has burned out in oblivion i believe it was his destiny to disappear with that rainbow and perhaps return with it when the fall should noiselessly steal down the mountain once more he may have had an object in secreting himself for a season perhaps he was renewing his youthful innocence in some more solitary spot he may have gone apart to laugh by the hour at the folly of the foreigners who fed a disgraced emperor or was he making his queer noises to hear the queerer echoes that came back to him and all the while caring no more for life or death than a parrot or a magpie or even a poor half-shapen soul 
one of those sacred idiots that have found worshippers before now and never yet failed to awaken a chord of sympathy in the heart that is fashioned after the divine pattern of the son of god end of chapter five